Welcome to the Finding the Magic podcast, where books come alive. I'm Tricia Copeland, a fiction author and host of this show. If you love books, finding great reads, and hearing about the story behind the story directly from the authors, this is the place for you. Whether you like fantasy, science fiction, dystopian, or romance titles, I think you'll find something to love in my playlist. Listen in to discover something magical about a book or two today. Welcome, Erica. Thanks for having me, Tricia. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. I am here today with Erica Krauss. She is, they're calling it a literary true crime book. Tell me everything. I know you can't tell me everything, but hopefully you can tell me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to. (laughs) Well, do you want to jump in and give us the premise behind the book? Sure. Um, The book is about my first case as a private investigator, um, and I was kind of a rookie, and uh, I kind of got assigned to this huge Title IX sexual assault case. It was actually the first Title IX sexual assault case in history ever. Um, and But I didn't really know what I was doing. So the book is a, about uh, finding my way through the job, finding my way through that case, and also navigating my own personal history with sexual violence as I'm as I'm investigating a sexual violence case. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine like the emotional <laughs> weight of doing that. It was a lot, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, it, you know, it was a, it, you know, a strange five-year period in my life. I, I never thought I'd write a memoir. I was never like, oh, I, I think I have a memoir in me. But when I look at that five years, I was like, well, this is a, this is a book. You know, it's a, it's a story. So. <laughs> so you were employed by a police department then? No, I was employed by a lawyer, and I met the lawyer by by chance in a bookstore like we were you know we were both in the same bookstore and um and he just started telling me about his life and then was kind of appalled that he was doing that and I was like oh it's okay everyone does that and then um he saw an opportunity to sort of use that in his practice uh so he hired me on the spot as a PI and I said I I I have no experience and he said perfect so I kind of fell into this weird, weird job that I'd actually always wanted to do. I'd always wanted that job, I, but I, I never thought I could do that. I, I didn't have any training. <laughs> well, t- so tell me about that. Was it online research? Was it in-person research? How, what were you doing? So, you know, the, the conception of private investigation is is pretty different from what it really is right we you know we have this idea of like lurking in corners and you got your camera you know camera with a super telephotic lens or whatever um you know the hat and the trench coat it's really not like that um a lot of it a lot of what you do is online uh just looking looking up information but it's more than just looking up information you have to be able to cross-reference a lot of stuff together at one time so that's sort of the like special skill of looking things up, but um, PIs often don't have many more resources than 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 any other person, right? Um, they just have to sort of put this together with this, to, with this, with this, with this to create a picture. Um, and then the the biggest part was interviewing. So I I was tasked with finding people who you know. So the case revolved around a party where a, a woman 
was uh, sexually assaulted by a group of football college football players and recruits who would you know i think had come to the party to sort of entice the recruits to come to the school like oh if you come to school you're going to get laid you know and then um and then so i had to find people who had been to the party who had seen things who and also as the case grew other survivors of sexual assault other people who had been you know assaulted by the football by members of the football team or impacted harassed those kinds of things so we could build this case of a of a of a culture that you know discriminated against women basically wow that it sounds amazing and what was your prior history like you said he didn't know you at all he just hired oh, you yeah. but he I just no like history. you had a good rapport what did what did you do for a job before that oh I did every job I did I was like I did everything from dishwashing to teaching at the same college that I had, was investigating um so I you know I had I I think I, I list in the book I have this long list of jobs I had done and, and it's like it's like this long, <laughs> I mean it's everything you know I read tarot cards in the street I mean I'd done I had done every and everything you could possibly think of, you know. So, um, so I, I again, I didn't have training. I didn't have that specific training. But I don't know if it's one thing I'm kind of learning is it's not the sort of thing that you would learn in a school or you know learn in um, anything but on the job training. Really, it's something that you I think you you get through that experience of of interacting with people, asking them a lot of questions, much like your job right right now like you know what i mean like there's no podcaster school there's no how to interview you know how to interview people school um you know although there should, probably should be uh but <laughs> because it's kind of interesting i think you know there's a lot to know um so i i think it i don't know if it's if even if i had had training i don't know if it it would have been the best thing honestly because i think in some ways being thrust into this scene was uh, gave me the freshness of perspective that I um, that I sometimes needed. Now that's not to say I didn't screw up a lot, and I did. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> well, tell me how you decided to write about it. Well, that was interesting. I um, so you know writer mostly fiction, and I uh, I was getting rejected a lot from this one magazine that I really liked called. Granta. I, I was actually getting rejected from a lot of magazines, but this one I had been submitting to for about 20 years. And I, and um, I, I sent a, you know, another story, one of, I don't, I don't know, even know how many I'd sent them 20 or something. And, uh, but what I hadn't realized is all along they're reading my cover letter, right? As they reject me. And, uh, and the, this one editor said, you know, still no, I don't know what you, what you sent me, but I saw in your cover letter, that you uh, work as a private investigator, so would you like to write a piece for our mental states issue? And I said, yeah, you know, of course. Um, and they, he said, great, 3,000 words, I wrote six. Um, and then I sent it, and they actually did publish it. But as I was writing and I was thinking, this isn't an essay, this is a book, this is a full length book, there's too much I'm not saying, I'm not really doing the subject justice. There's, I feel like I'm leaving everything out. And so, uh, I thought about it a lot um, for a really, you know, I thought about it very extensively because I knew it was going to be complicated and challenging 
in literally every direction. But then I talked about it with my agent and we said, okay, let's, let's do a proposal and, and let's see how it works. And, and we did and Flatiron Books bought it. And then, and then I was locked in <laughs> and I had to write it. <laughs> and it's my third book. So it wasn't as scary as it, as it would have been if it were my first book. I think I probably would have had 40 nervous breakdowns if it were my first. But um, since it was my third, I had a little bit of an understanding of how to write a book. Uh, and, and, and I just went forward from there. Yeah, I can imagine there were so many issues. I mean, there's issues with you know, anonymity and then issues like going back through all those feelings that you, you have to kind of relive that. My yeah. first series I wrote, I wrote about a girl who experienced anorexia and recovered from that, but that, because that was my experience and I wanted, it was important for me to write about that, mm -hmm. but it was really emotional and really hard to write about it as well yeah did you feel like you were reliving every moment of it as oh, definitely a, but I think it was healing too because I had 20 years of perspective on it and in a way it it kind of closed not closed that book I don't think you ever closed anything like that but kind of brought me through to another level of understanding of that part of my life yeah I think it's sort of like you know when you have a, a, a traumatic experience like you did um, or series of experiences or period, right? Um, that becomes, you know, you think of it and that's what you think of, right? And then you write about it and it's no, it's, it becomes this kind of triangle in a way. You're no longer thinking of that experience. You're thinking of the experience of writing about it too, right? right? So it kind of transforms into this other thing that's actually creative and um, liberating and honest, right? And instead of the original experience often has a lot of secrecy and hiding and shame, right? Um, but when you kind of come into the light and say, hey, this is a thing that happened, right? This is, you know, and, and you really are true to that experience. You're turning the shame into openness. You're turning the, you know, the, the secrets into honesty. And it, I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, do you feel better now that you feel like, you know, it, you can't ever feel healed, right? But do you feel like you're in the process of, having healed a little bit oh definitely and you, as as you mature too I mean that I was experienced as a young person so you have a young person's brain and the trauma of all of that and then 20 years later you can look at it and say oh I, I get it you know I get it and I get why it, I mean not not all of why it happened but a lot of why it happened and you know you can forgive yourself and right. there's many layers of recovery there right 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 and, you know, you can also look back as an adult looking at a kid instead of like a kid berating herself. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your first two books. Um, so my first book was, is a collection of short stories called Come Up and See Me Sometime. And um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> um, like it was, it was like way too long ago. Um, and then it took me a really long time to write my second book. Uh, which is called Contenders, and it's a, a novel. So, and that was published in 2015. So, not quite as big a lag between that one and this one, but it still takes so long. You know, it just takes so long to write a book. It does. It takes a long time. Tell me about your process of writing. Did you? I mean, did you? I'm guessing you had a pretty good outline before you started. <laughs> Tell me everything. Trisha, my outline 
was a hundred thousand words, which if you don't know what that is, that's like, you know, anyone else doesn't know what that, you know what it is, but it's like, that's 400 pages. So it was very long <laughs> uh, and it wasn't all my writing. It was, you know, there were, there were, I had to really um, be accurate about the, the case, right? I couldn't slip up on this and because there's, there's documented public record and also you know, with, with sexual assault, it's such a hot button topic. People will nitpick. They'll say, oh, well, she was wrong about that. I mean, she was lying about the whole thing, you know? So I had to be very, very accurate. So I had all these court cases in my outline and I had all these, uh, all my work documents and I had all these newspaper articles from every source and, and I had to investigate like, well, this one says this, but this one says that, why, you know? And so I, the research was, um, just bananas. Um, so I was all over the place in the research and it took the outlining itself took, and I, I have very long, long work weeks. So this might not be that telling, but it was two months of just all I did was outline for two months um, and gather, gather sources. So that, and again, like I, I work very long days and I, you know, I have very long writing work weeks. So, uh, so probably it would be I don't know, at least five or six for like someone who, who was normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure any author can call ourselves normal. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but even like a maybe more typical writer, it, you know, it was just a long process of outlining. But once I did that, it was so fast to write. So, uh, so it was two months of outlining. And then really I wrote and revo 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 revised the book in um, 13 months, which is super fast, considering that my novel had taken over 10 years. So. Wow. And did you have, or did you need someone to read the book to make sure you were getting that language correct around the sexual assaults? And did you have psychologists read it? I mean, how many different people did you have read this? I had a lot of people read this book. I um, so I belong to two writers groups, and uh, one of the writers groups it, it's it, this is a really cool. I mean, I had the other writers group read pieces, you know, but the um, the but two individuals in that one writers group read the whole thing, and then because I'd read their books, you know, or promised to, and <laughs> and then the next the other writers group we all had books kind of ready, so what we're doing is cycling through. So they read they read all of the book. So I had seven full readers, seven, six, six full readers from writers groups. Um, and then I had, uh, the one, one of the characters in the story, uh, I asked him to read this, read it. And he did twice. Um, and he, you know, he said, no, no, yes, no, no, you know, that kind of thing. And that was really super helpful. Um, and then, and also because he was portrayed, I really wanted him to be okay with it and then and then um, and then the editor of course and then and she read it like three four times and then and her assistant read it and then um, and copy editors read it several times and proofers read it several times and they also had two well really it's like one one full legal read and then it, they kind of went over it again with a lawyer <laughs> right it was insane. And that was yeah. I mean that took forever that took you know I don't know how many months that took. Um, at least six. I'm thinking it took longer. Um, so it. So this book has been like. It's like if I look and I'm like, did anything survive? Like you know, like 
I'm amazed there are words in here because everything has been scrutinized because the impact can be high on somebody. You, you really don't want to, you want to do as little harm as possible and you want to do as much good as possible. So, and given that it was a real case that happened with documentation, you know, we just couldn't afford a single problem. So, so yeah, it's been, been edited. Now probably any writer who's listening is like fleeing, like screaming into the night, like, no, I don't want to write that. <laughs> Well, I think you had the worst or the the worst, I don't want to say the worst case scenario, but you had like so many different factors to think about. You had right. anonymity to think about. You had liability. Right. You had slander. You had, right. you know, right. you want to get the language correct, politically correct. You want to be all kinds of fact checks and everything. Exactly. And I was really scared that, you know, I really, it's, it's a conundrum because it's nonfiction. So I wanted to get it right, but it's also memoir. So you have to change like memoir sort of demands that you change identities often. It's a strange, strange thing. So you're like trying to tell the truth while lying a little bit about the truth. Right. Like, so like I'm, I'm trying to make sure that nobody can be identified. Um, you know, all the, all the survivors from the case and even the perpetrators, because if like one of the bad guys is identified, people go, Oh, I bet that's about, you know, give a name, I'm give a random female name, right? And I don't, and you don't want to sort of hurt someone through association. And you also disguising is really interesting, because I'd be like, you know, someone played a certain sport. And, um, and then uh, I, we were trying to disguise and she was a survivor, we were trying to disguise her, I'm like, Oh, make her be this other sport. And then, and then the lawyer's like, Well, now you're accusing, you know, this other, these other group of people, right? So I was like, Oh, gosh, you so complicated <laughs> when you're talking about crime it, it gets super complicated super super fast well it's def i'm definitely i did buy it and i'm definitely gonna i'm even it. more interested to read it now just to see how all of that was handled oh uh, thank you yeah it was is certain you know a special kind of brain damage <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine yeah. And you're a member of a writer's group here in Colorado called Lighthouse Writers. Oh, yeah. Lighthouse is great. They're, they're actually an enormous organization. They're a literary arts organization. I don't know how many members they have, but I do know I'm one of like close to 100 full-time faculty. So they have a lot of classes in the, in the um, not just locally, but also on Zoom. And, and it's a really good resource for people who say they don't want to go get an MFA, they don't want to move, they don't want to spend, you know, it's like 50 to $150,000 now um, to get an MFA. So they say they don't want to do that kind of an academic program, but they want to learn how to write creative, do creative writing uh, in a more, in a better way. Um, they can take classes that range from novice to, you know, super, super advanced. So uh, it's a, it's a really wonderful place. And it's a great place to work. I mean, I love I love teaching there. My students are amazing because they're adults and they they have lives and they um, they have a lot of experience in the world and that's what they're writing about, even if it's you know fiction or nonfiction. So it's it's always a wonderful class and it, it's very gratifying to teach there and and they get great people. They get the the top writers of the day, you know. So uh, so they're they're wonderful and they're in Denver. Um, and I feel really lucky just to 
just to be in this this community. Yeah, I've taken a couple of courses. I took the screen. I think it was like a hero's journey from from the screen perspective, like oh. analyzing how movies did the plot of a hero's journey and how you could oh. adapt that to writing. That was several years ago. I'm trying to see. Instructor. She was from the film industry. Yeah, I would have to go look up her name. Uh But um, yeah, and I've taken several other classes during the pandemic and the Zoom was amazing. It was was, because it was hard to, it was interesting because I've talked to a lot of people, new authors who were like, yes, finally during the pandemic, I started writing. Right. But it seemed to me that the authors that were already writing didn't write as much during the pandemic. And that's what I experienced. Like, yeah. and maybe it was, I didn't feel comfortable doing the same thing, or I needed to do something different. And to me, something different was not writing. But when I wanted to get back into it, like, it, I go back and take a course. And I took two or three courses over that year, just to re-engage and re-inspire and yeah, get myself back on track. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, it's kind of like this big support network for, and and you can engage with it any way you want. They're, they're moving to a new, they're building a building now. So oh, wow. yeah, so they, they were renting always since I've, you know, and they've switched locations and every location they've been in, they outgrew immediately. So um, now they're in a temporary location on Steel Street, but they just got this enormous I think it's like $2.3 million grant from the city, which gets them almost to the point where they need to be for the whole building or not for the whole building, but, but enough to break ground. So, um, so they're breaking ground on a new location and they will, they will own it. And that's going to be huge. And it's, it's this really cool space that's really um, accessible and it, you know, by like public transportation, that was really important to them. And, um, and it's just beautiful and it's really also like malleable. They can sort of convert it for all their many, many needs. So it's gonna be really exciting. Um, and they're breaking ground like I think this week or something like that. So it's really cool. But they're they're a wonderful organization. I they've helped me in almost every way I can think of. I I, I feel like I owe them a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. very cool. What's next for you? Are you working on another project? Yeah, what's so this <laughs> so this book originally I uh I was like, well, okay, I'll write a memoir if it gets my short story collection published because you can never get a short story collection published. It's really really hard. Um so I was like, okay, well, I'll write this memoir and that'll be like my, you know, the thing I do for this other baby I have, right? Um but in but of course it just took on its own life and I kind of fell in love with the, the it's almost like yeah, I don't know. I fell in love with the new baby, but um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, so I, but it's a two part of a two book deal. So I'll deliver on the um, short story collection. The only problem is whenever you write a new book, you get better. I mean, that's a good thing, right? But um, but now I look at some of those stories. I'm like, oh my god, I hate that story, right? So I have to rewrite. I've not rewrite, but um, I have to write some new stories. It's going to be a little late. Um, <laughs> I will call your editor or your agent or whoever. I shouldn't be telling. Hopefully they'll forgive me. And then um and then after that's a novel. And then after that, here be dragons. Fine. Can you tell us what your novel is about or is that like a secret as well? 
I don't talk about things until I'm actually almost done with them uh, because oh, it's almost, yeah, it's because well, it's like um, talking about it can replace doing it. You know, if you talk about it too much, then all of a sudden you, then you don't need to do it. You're just talking about it. <laughs> but, uh, but like if something's almost done, I'll, I'll talk about it. But, but you know, it'll, it'll just be a, it'll be a novel about um, with a female central protagonist is all I, all I would, would say. Yeah. So. How about you? What's what's next with you? What am I? I'm working with an artist right now. I'm really excited. I met him in Denver, and we came up with this project together. He came up with the hero of the story, and I'm writing a story around her. So it's really fun. That's it's really so cool. Exciting. That's a, what what genre? It's fantasy. I guess adult fantasy genre. It's about an Aztec priestess. Wow. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of research on the Aztecs, with, and interestingly enough, a United Kingdom website has more information <laughs> than you would ever think. I was surprised Which website? that website. Um, it's. Oh, I have to send you the link. It's UK yeah, Calore or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, they have, and it's partially designed. It's mainly designed for kids. To learn about the different cultures, and they have Mayan, and they have Aztec, and yes, the wealth of information about any culture probably that you could want to investigate. So I, I spend most of my it. days like making sure I get everything right. <laughs> I know, right? You you're gonna have to use it as an excuse to do some traveling. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting to... to know that they had wheels and games but they never used wheels for carts. And I was like, oh. Really? And they said maybe it was because it was so rocky there that they, in it was, so it's more like Colorado, like the landscape was more like Colorado, I guess it was very rocky. So they didn't, yeah, they didn't use wheels. And they, they didn't- axles? Did they use axles for the wheels? No, they didn't use them for transportation at all. They used them in games. <laughs> They had wheels everywhere. They like had their priorities straight. Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Things you learn. And they were they were scared of the Spaniards when the Spaniards came because they were on horses and they never like saw anybody riding a horse before. Oh, really? They didn't have horses. Yeah, horses came from Europe. So yeah, it was oh, just interesting. Just things I wouldn't have thought of or known. Yeah. Obviously not a history major here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like you see a new animal for the first time, you're going to like, it's going to be a new experience. Someone told me that um, unicorns were based off of, was it unicorns? Off of, off of that um, they thought, they thought uh, in China, they thought giraffes were unicorns. Oh, interesting. So they have their own mythical unicorn. And it's, uh, it's really because they saw giraffes. <laughs> So it's like a new species can feel like magic or like a dragon, you know, it's like, you know, can be based off of a lizard and oh, it's so interesting. Right. Well, I mean, drafts are definitely different. Like there's nothing else that looks even similar to a draft. Right. I mean, the zebras look sort of like horses or. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Right. Right. No kidding. Oh, Lots cool. of tidbits here. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. This is Erica Kraus again. And her book is Tell Me Everything. You want to hold up the cover again? Oh, I love sure. the cover. 
Thank you. And, and thank you us, for having me here, yes. Trisha. It's wonderful talking with you. And tell us where we can find you in your book. Um, well, it should be available. I know that there's supply chain issues with stores, so it's in some stores. It's sold out of some stores, but it's always online, you know, bookshop, Amazon kind of uh, places. I know it's available there. And uh, yeah. And if and it's not is, in your local bookstore, you can ask and they'll order. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your website so we can follow so, you? It's my name, ericacrauss.com. It's E R. Oh, it's this, uh, E-R-I-K-A-K-R-O-U-S-E. Everyone spells it wrong though. So, um, how did they spell it with an A instead of an O? Maybe? Every way. Like I've, yeah, yeah, I could, I have a list of ways I could spell you, they spell it, but yeah. I have a Polish name, so that's why it's not on the screen. <laughs> I know, I know, I saw that name. I was like, oh my gosh, that's such an interesting name. <laughs> Yeah. How do you well, pronounce your last name? Um, my real last, my married last name is Brostovich. Brostovich. Okay. I was wondering yes. how. Yeah. You can't look at it and say it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the sun. You can't look directly at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Erica. It was great to have you. Thank you so much, Trisha. Bye. Bye. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finding the Magic podcast. I'm your host, author and podcaster, Tricia Copeland, and I love getting behind the scenes. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and stop in each week, discover new authors and books. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep finding the magic.